Hi, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors at Victory and I'm also the director of our provincial churches. At Victory, we are committed to plant churches all over the Philippines, believing that together we can disciple this nation. Hope this message inspires you to honor God and make disciples. to share God's Word with you all today. But before I do that, I really want to take this moment to just thank all of you for interceding and standing in the gap for our nation, especially during this quarantine period. Whether they be in your personal moments of prayer and devotion, or it could be through Unite 714, or maybe through online prayer meetings. Thank you for praying. I know my family has committed every evening uh, without fail uh, at 7.14 every night just to intercede for our nation. I want to encourage you to continue to pray and intercede for the healing of our nation and the quick and speedy recovery of our economy. While I'm also here, I want to take this moment also to thank everyone on behalf of our missionaries, whether they be our campus missionaries or our cross-cultural missionaries on the field. Thank you for praying and for supporting them. Uh, They're all doing well and they have incredible testimonies, not only in their lives during this period, but also to people that they are ministering to. So uh, for the word, I am so happy to tell you that we are back to our series in the book of Romans. So far, we have covered the first two chapters before we got interrupted during this pandemic period, but now we're back. The book of Romans is one of the most fascinating books to study in the entire New Testament. According to scholars, the book of Romans also is the most logical and the most uh, systematic presentation of Christian truth in the whole Bible and also a great exposition of the faith. Romans holds a very special place in the life of the Christian church. In fact, let me read uh, some of these uh, uh, to you. Bible scholar F.F. Bruce said, Time and again, in the course of Christian history, it has liberated the minds of men, brought them back to an understanding of the essential gospel of Christ, and started spiritual revolutions. Third century theologian and philosopher St. Augustine was converted reading the book of Romans. Protestant reformer Martin Luther launched the Reformation and was inspired by Romans chapter 1 verse 17 that says, The just shall live by faith. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, got converted when he heard someone reading Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And theologian John Calvin of Geneva said this, When anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasure of Scripture. See, the primary theme running through Paul's letter to the Romans is the revelation of God's righteousness in his plan for salvation which the Bible calls the gospel. Hence, this series is called The Gospel Explained. Today, the focus of our study brings us to Romans chapter 3, and I would like to read to you again verses 1 to 4. Then what advantage has the Jew 
Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. You know, the primary theme that we're looking at in this chapter, particular chapter, chapter 3, is the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. Because Romans chapter 3 has 31 verses. I divided them up into three different sections. The first section covers verses 1 to 8. Second section covers verses 9 to 20. And the third section covers uh, verse 21 to 31. So going back to the first section, first section reveals the faithfulness of God in the midst of man's unfaithfulness. Let me go ahead and give you insight number one. God's faithfulness is not dependent on man's faithlessness. It is dependent on his character. Faithfulness is one of God's unchanging attributes. It means that God always does exactly what he says he will do. And he does it inconsistent with his character and his nature. But the question that Paul is asking, is bringing up in this verse, is very, very important. What if some Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, or the revelation of God, did not believe God? Will this nullify the promise of God? Does our lack of faith, or our disobedience, cancels the faithfulness of God? According to the Apostle Paul, the answer is an empathic no. Paul wants to remind his Jewish brothers that their lack of faith has not hindered God's promise and plan. And what is this plan? A big part of this plan was to set Israel apart as God's special people and to bless them so that they in turn can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And we all know that Israel has not really lived up to that plan. Yet despite Israel's shortcomings, God's faithfulness is not dependent on man's faithlessness. As we pointed out earlier, it is dependent on his character. As 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You may be going through tough times and hardship. Remember that God is faithful and will not turn His back on you even though sometimes we turn our back on Him. You know, despite Israel's failing, God continued to be faithful to His covenant with them. The fact that many people are unfaithful today by suppressing God's truth, by exchanging God's truth for a lie, and by rejecting God's truth doesn't change the fact that God is truth. In the strongest terms, Paul is saying that the combined justification of the whole world could not stand up to God's truth. As verse 4 points out, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. I don't know.
don't know about you, but that excites me because you know what I see? I see that God is faithful. God is reliable. We can trust in Him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's purpose for Israel as well as His plans for all people remain steadfast. Verse 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul foresaw further objections. It says, and let me read to you, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? In other words, if my sinfulness serve to amplify God's faithfulness, then why should I be punished when I'm actually helping Him out? Unfortunately, this kind of argument makes it look unfair for God to punish sinners. Probably one of the most dramatic examples I could think of right now would be Judas. Imagine Judas arguing his case. I know I betrayed Jesus. There's no question about that, but God used it for good. In fact, if I, hadn't betrayed, if I hadn't betrayed Jesus, he would not have gone to the cross. So in a way, I've actually helped fulfill the scripture. So why am I being judged at all? I'm sure this kind of question has crossed your minds at one time or another. We could apply the same argument to Pharaoh whose heart God has hardened. I think the response to this kind of reasoning is this. Yes, God used your wickedness, but it is still your wickedness. Your motive, your heart, they are all wrong. Therefore, it is no credit to you that God brought good out of your evil, but you still stand guilty before God. See, God's holy character and moral uprightness is the standard by which God judges. God is not subjected to man's norm of fairness or society's norm of fairness. The big mistake for us is to assume that because God is faithful, that somehow we don't have to follow His laws, or maybe God overlook our sins, or that the more we sin, the better it is. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, no matter how many excuses sinners make, they will have to answer to God for their sin. Paul dismisses this perverse and slanderous kind of reasoning with his blunt words in verse 8, where it says, And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just, which means this, those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Our utmost response must be one of humility, never arrogance and not self-righteousness, but acknowledging that we have fallen short of God's standards, whether Jews and Gentiles alike. Which is why, before this section, Paul redefines what a true Jew is to us. This is the context of Romans chapter 3, and allow me to just read this to you. Romans 2.28, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew, a true Jew, in, a, in, a, in that sense, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. 
You know, Paul, Paul clearly stated that being a true Jew is not a matter of heritage or ancestry, but a matter of one's relationship with God. And true circumcision, he said, is not of our physical body, but of the heart. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48, when someone informed Jesus that his mother and his brothers are outside wanting to talk to him, I want you to notice carefully how Jesus responds to this. And again, let me read from verse 48. It says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother my, and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was pointing out that one's relationship with God is as important, if not more important and more binding, than our earthly relationships. Because we live in a broken world, it is sometimes hard to see the plan and faithfulness of God towards us. One thing we must settle in our hearts is that no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter what we feel or even experience, we must resolve that God is true, that everything contrary to His Word is a lie. God's promises are always true even when we struggle to believe or to experience them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, meaning in Christ. That is why it is through Him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. I love the way the Message Bible puts it. It says, whatever God has promised gets stumped with the yes of Jesus in him, in Jesus. This is what we preach and pray. And the great amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. Another way of saying it, through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Paul here is reminding the Corinthians, as well as all of us, of God's faithfulness. His promises would be fulfilled. There is no wavering here between yes and no. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You see, because of our relationship with Jesus, every promise that we believe God for is always yes and amen because of our relationship with Jesus. Some of these promises include salvation, deliverance, victory over sin and temptation, victory over demons and evil spirits, physical healing, financial provision, overflowing blessings, favor, victory, and the list could go on. Yet despite man's unfaithfulness, God still sent Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is both the evidence and the embodiment of God's faithfulness. God will be faithful to us, and His promises are always yes and amen. This brings us now to our second point. This section runs from verse 9 to verse 20 and shows us that man's sinfulness magnified the faithfulness of God. Let me say that again. Man's sinfulness magnified the, the faithfulness of God. Why? Because it shows us our desperate need of a Savior. Insight number two. 
The faithfulness of God in the face of our unfaithfulness prepares and compels us to receive God's wonderful gift of salvation. For us to fully appreciate the faithfulness of God, Paul applies the concept of depravity in this section. Paul continually maintains that everyone stands guilty before God. Every person must accept their sinfulness and that they are liable for God's condemnation. Verse 9 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. See, the advantages of being a Jew does not apply to salvation. Again, for example, verse 9 says, All are under sin. All have sinned. Verse 10 says, No one is righteous. No one is living right. So no one can earn right standing with God. Verse 11, No one is seeking God or following His path. Verse 12, All have turned away from God. No one does what is right. All have gone wrong. Verse 13, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, they are quick to hurt and kill, hating anyone who disagrees with them. Verse 16, they release misery and trouble wherever they go. Verse 17, they don't know the, how to find peace. Verse 18, they have no fear of God to restrain them. And verse 19 says, for no one has any excuses. Everyone is liable for judgment. The conclusion, guilty as charged. And this is what verse 20 says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What this verse is telling us is that no matter how much we try to be good, no matter how much we try to observe all of our religious responsibility, we fall short of the standard of God's perfection. This all-inclusive statement that Paul is making describes the state of man's depravity. Paul clarified that the purpose of the law is not to bring salvation, but to make us aware of two things. One, that we are sinners, and that number two, we need the grace of God desperately to save us. Only by understanding our unfaithfulness will we be able to appreciate the faithfulness of God that prepare us to receive God's wonderful gift of salvation. Which leads us now to the third point, which runs from verse 21 to verse 31. And here's insight number three, that the faithfulness of God provides the way for man to be saved. After establishing a strong case that we are guilty as charged under the law, the Apostle Paul now turns to God's gracious alternative plan. And since no person can save himself, God's faithfulness was demonstrated through Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. Verse 21 
of Romans chapter 3 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The words, but now, in this verse, present an important shift in this subject because now it introduced the good news to us. There is a way to be made righteous before God, but it is not by obeying the law. It is not by trying to be good. It is not trying to, to be more religious. It is not even by being Jewish. It is sad that a lot of people today are trying to be as Jewish even if they are not Jew. But this righteousness from God has been provided for us in a different way. It goes on to say in verse 22 that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Wow. The way to be made right in God's sight is the way of faith in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. Trusting in Jesus Christ means putting our confidence in Him to forgive us of our sins, to put us in right relationship or right standing with God, and to empower us to live the way He taught us to live. See, God's saving grace is available to every person, regardless of your color, your social uh, standing. It doesn't matter. It is available for everyone, regardless of background and regardless of your past sins and even shameful behavior. The way to salvation is open to all who believe, whether Jews or Gentiles. We are all guilty sinners after all, and this puts all of us in the same plane. And trusting in Jesus Christ is the only way we can be saved. For there is no name given among men whereby man can be saved, except only by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean we understand everything that Christ has done for us, but what it does mean is that we believe He has done everything for us to be saved. So in conclusion, there is nothing we say or do that can ever nullify the Word of God. Though heaven and earth may pass away, God's Word stands fast forever and ever. God, in His goodness and grace, give us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This Jesus, the Son of God, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, He rose from the dead, proving He is the Son of God and now is offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to those who repent and believe in Him. On this note, but it really gets down to we are left with two choices. Either we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, 
or not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and not be saved. God's unchanging nature and faithfulness are the foundation of our hope. Because He won't change His mind about our salvation. Thank God, God is not fickle-minded. He doesn't just change His mind at, at a whim. We now have the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. Since He is the sovereign ruler of the universe, we never ever have to fear that our world is out of His control. His plans were formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. In fact, I found this verse really interesting in the book of Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 1. It says, O Lord, you are my God. I will extol you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Now notice it said, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Wow. See, no one can frustrate God's plan or turn back his hand. Again, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27, it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul? Who will annul it? Meaning, who will invalidate or void what he promised or what he purposed? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Because God is faithful, we can have peace of mind in any circumstance, even in the face of death. Although uh, we will change in time and the seasons of life will come and go, our faithful God will always remain the same. He will always be steadfast. Since we belong to Him through Christ, He will never forget, neglect, or abandon us. Instead, He promised to protect and preserved us. As He said in Hebrews 13.5, which many of you are familiar, He said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. As stated clearly also in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I love this verse. It says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. In closing, I would just like to pray for two sets of people. If you are going through a difficult time, remember that no matter what circumstances you may be going through, no matter what you feel or experience, let me remind you again, God is faithful. He cares for you. And whatever promises He made for you is all true. All you need to do is claim it by faith. Believe it, for He who promised is faithful. Let me go ahead and pray for you. Lord, I just lift up brothers and sisters, or perhaps somebody may be watching this, this message today, and maybe they have not accepted Jesus. Lord, would you just touch their lives today? Lord, you know what they're going through. You know the trials and the hardship that they may be experiencing. It could be a financial challenge, a relational challenge. It could be uh, uh, needs, Lord God. They might need uh, something uh, that they don't have uh, money for. Lord God, would you look to them with grace. Lord, you promise you will meet all our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ. 
Lord, thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord God, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Lastly, I want to pray for those of you that have not given your lives to Jesus. As mentioned in my third point, the faithfulness of God provided the way for man to be saved. I mentioned also earlier that there are two options for us. Believe and be saved or not believe and not be saved. If you are watching this today and you have not given your lives to Jesus, you have not maybe believe mentally, but you have not really had a relationship where you know God, where you're walking with God, where you're intimately engaged in His Word, where you live a life of worship, where you really have a vital living relationship with Jesus. I believe now is the time for you to give your life to Jesus. At the comforts of where you are in your homes, you can pray this prayer, but there's so much power when you confess it. For it is with your mouth that you confess. It is with your heart that you believe Jesus is Lord that you will be saved. So please pray this prayer with me as I lead you in, in, in receiving Jesus into your heart today. Say this with me, Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, thank you for the greatest news of all that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive me of all my sins. And because he lived a sinless life, he defeated death and rose again from the dead so I might receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, today, I want to repent from all my sins. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I may be weak. I may not be perfect. But I trust you to be my Savior and my Lord from this day forward. Let me grow in grace so that I could not only follow you, but serve your purpose for my life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go ahead and just pray a prayer of blessing on all of you. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Lord, it stands true that you are faithful, not only then, not only now, but for the rest of our lives, you will always remain faithful because that is who you are. So, Lord God, as we leave from this place, I just pray your blessing upon your people. I speak your peace. I speak your favor. I speak your grace upon their lives. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. You can visit victory.org.ph to find a church, join the Victory Group, and give online. Thank you for partnering with us in discipling the city, the nation, and the world through your generosity. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.